Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Let me read the paragraph, the context, verses 16 through 20. But that one verse is going to be our primary focus. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches in the area of Galatia, writes this. He says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that they that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I'm just going to have you hold on to that for a little bit, and we'll come back to it uh, later in the message. Even as Pastor Chad mentioned in his prayer, I was, last week was the first week I was back after having been on sabbatical for 10 weeks, and you were so gracious and so kind to me in allowing me that time away, and it was such a a good time, a fruitful time, a time of spiritual nourishment, of spiritual rest and spiritual growth. And I will be forever indebted to you as a congregation for that time. And I thought it would be good, since you allowed me to do it for me, to share with you what God taught me while I was away. And so last week, we began. I began just the first of two parts Next week on the 26th, Sunday the 26th, we'll get back to our series on the Gospel of John after a long break from that. But last week I shared with you the second most important thing that God taught me. And this morning I want to share with you the most important thing that God taught me while I was on sabbatical. And you're going to see how the two mesh together. And so our first point this morning is the ultimate goal. Now what I want to do first of all realizing that some of you may not have been here last week, is just very briefly share with you the first part, the second most important thing that God taught me. And that is this. God taught me that slow, careful, biblical meditation is the key to spending long periods of time in prayer. That what we need to do, if we are really going to get alone with God... Not for some rush time, not just for daily devotions, as important and as critical as those are, but beyond that, long periods of time. If we are going to do that, there has to be this meshing together of the reading of Scripture and prayer. We need to have them come together in what is biblical, known as biblical meditation and prayer. Now, this is not new with me. I shared with you last week. Christians have practiced this for centuries. But it's one of those things that we just keep rediscovering over and over again. It's interesting, just this week, just this week, John Piper had an entire message on prayer and the Bible saying that all of our prayers must be saturated. All of our prayers must be saturated with the word of God. And it changes our prayers. I am talking about taking a small section of scripture 
and letting it form our prayers. I'm talking about slow, careful meditation on a passage that we let wash over and through our minds over and over again and then actually praying that or letting it form our prayers to the Lord. As I shared with you last week, one writer said this. He said, why would we use our fragile human words when we pray, when we can pray the divine words of God? When we can pray God's very words unto him. I shared with you from Tim Keller's book on prayer that he said in the 1600s, the Puritans literally prayed the Psalms verbatim. Sometimes they would pray a psalm or a section of a psalm and turn it into a prayer. Other times their prayer would be the psalm. They would just actually read the psalm or a portion of the psalm unto the Lord. I shared with you that the New Testament is filled with the prayers of the Apostle Paul. I did a whole series of messages on that back in 2017. We can Take Paul's prayers and make them our very own. They are filled with wonderful, God-exalting, Christ-honoring thoughts. The Bible is filled with small sections of Scripture that can bring a renewed life and power to our prayers. So that's the second most important thing that God taught me. Now I want to share with you the most important thing, the most important important truth that God taught me while I was on sabbatical, and it is this. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to become just like Christ in everything we think, say, and do. Now, you may be thinking, oh, Pastor Tim, that's not so enlightening. We know that. We know we're supposed to become like Jesus. But I want you to stick with me this morning. I really want us to ask ourselves if we're really becoming like Jesus in every aspect of our life. And that's why I chose Galatians 4.19. Paul is frustrated with the Galatians. The league, the Judaizers, those who are legalistic have infiltrated them. They have said salvation is not just faith in Christ, but it's also keeping man-made traditions and laws, and that's true for growth as well. And Paul is like, how did you get so far from what I taught you? In verses 9 and 10 of chapter 4, he says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again? to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slave you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Why? When I have taught you about the grace of God, when I have taught you that Christ is everything, why are you now going back to man-made traditions and rules and legalistic rituals. You're observing days and months and seasons and years. He said, I fear for you. I fear for you. And these Judaizers wanted to make much of themselves. And so in chapter 4 and verse 19, he just kind of pauses and says, my children, my little children, 
for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm like a woman in labor, experiencing labor pains over you until Christ is formed in you. One writer said this. He said, Paul is not pleading with them as a lawyer with a jury. Rather, he's pleading with them as a parent with a wayward child. It is nurturing. It is kind. It is gentle. And yet, he pleads with them. In the Baker New Testament commentary on the book of Galatians, has a wonderful explanation. It says that Paul here is talking about being like Christ in the very depths of your being. That your aspirations, your thoughts, your motives, your dreams, everything, your goal is to be like Christ. It should affect Every common word you speak, that's what it said in the commentary. Every common word you speak should be like Christ. Even the tone of your voice should be like Christ. Every one of your thoughts. John MacArthur in his commentary on Galatians says that Paul is not talking here about outward conformity to Jesus, but rather in, inward Christ-like character qualities. And that's really what this is talking about. That we are to grow in Christ-like character qualities. And then John MacArthur says this. Christ-like character is the goal of the Christian life. John Stott, in his commentary on Galatians, says this. Every church member ought to long to be just like Christ. Every pastor ought to be in the pains of childbirth, in the anguish of childbirth, to want to see Christ formed in all the members of the church. Now, here's what I want you to understand this morning. I'm not talking about, or I want to say I'm talking about more than just walking in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm talking about more than just asking yourself, what would Jesus do? It's much more than that. This is a passion on your part, on my part, to let God change the very essence of who you are, to be like Jesus. It is allowing God to change, as John MacArthur said, the very deepest, the very deepest parts of your person. This is a teaching throughout the New Testament. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You have been predestined. You have been called by God to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, this is a passage I spent a lot of time on back in 2015 when I did a series on what is a disciple of Jesus. Pastor Chad referred to this passage in one of his later sermons this summer on discipleship. Colossians 1, 27 through 29, to them, to the saints. He is writing about the saints, us, 
To us, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. There is a great mystery, not a mystery that can't be known. The word mystery in the New Testament, if you recall, is used to take something that was once veiled but has now been revealed. And what has been revealed to New Testament believers is that their salvation, our salvation, is Christ in you. It is union with Christ. That is what salvation is. It is the hope of our glory. We live for Christ's glory. One day we will dwell in his glory. And so Paul says, I proclaim, I admonish, I teach everyone with this goal. To present all of you perfect in Christ. Could be translated mature in Christ. But it means to be like Christ. In the very essence of your being, to be like Jesus. And he says, to this end, I labor. My favorite passage on this subject is actually 2 Corinthians Corinthians 3.18. Again, Paul writing says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It says, with unveiled faces, all reflecting the Lord's glory. It can be translated, beholding the Lord's glory. Just like we just sang. Behold our God. That's what this passage is about. Behold Christ. And when you do, you will be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. You see, when we come alone before the Lord... And we behold our God. He changes us. And that's how last week and this week mesh together. How they move into each other. In biblical meditation. In biblical prayer. In your private personal prayer times with God. This is the place where all true change begins. Let me say this again. In biblical meditation, in biblical prayer, this is where all true change begins. It's not the only place you change. We change in our sufferings. We change in our trials. We are changed in our testings. We are changed in our faithfulness. But all change must begin in that intimate, alone time with God. Because you see, it's there. It is there where God exposes our secret sins and those sinful traits that we've held on to for years. I think there is a desperate need in all of our lives, and this is one of the things that happened to me while on sabbatical. And I will warn you, one of the dangerous times or things that will happen when you take times of sabbatical is God will reveal your sins. Maybe sins you've held on to and excused and rationalized for years. Oh, how we need that. But not only is it a time of confession and repentance, but our times of prayer. 
This is where we stand in awe of God. This is where we behold his glory, his majesty, his transcendence, his wonder, his amazement. We are enthralled with him. We are in awe of him. And this is where, this is where we fall in love with Jesus. This is where we fall in love with our Savior. Well, let me give you, I want to give you some specific examples. I can share this with you. I want to give you some specific examples. In fact, that's our second point, important examples. Some actual examples of passages that I meditated on long and deep and hard. And maybe you can use these or others like it. But the New Testament is filled with examples that challenge us to be changed, to be conformed into the very character qualities of our Savior. The first passage I want you to, that I want to use is in your bulletin. So if you have a bulletin, I'd like you to look there. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 8. You're probably very familiar with it. I wanted it printed in the NIV 84, the version we used to use for years. It's interesting. I love this particular version of it. Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, one of the books I read on sabbatical said, it was interesting, he said he believes the NIV has the best translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. This is a passage we're most familiar with because it's often read at weddings and should be. It's a wonderful passage. But its main intention is not for weddings, it's for the body of Christ. It's sandwiched in between two chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 14, which are about spiritual gifts. And the use of our spiritual gifts, this is about us. This is about our relationship with each other, our relationships with each other. And Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, you don't have to ask in this passage, what does he mean by love? Because he explains it in detail. But this is what struck me as I meditated on this passage over and over again. This is the love of Jesus. You can't have this kind of love apart from Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the one who gives you this love. And this is the kind of love that we should long to grow in. Folks, let me put it this way. This is true spiritual growth. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I ask myself over and over again. 
Does this description of love describe you right now? Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you boast? Are you proud? Are you rude? Are you easily angered? Do you keep a record of wrongs done against you? Do you always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere? Let me ask you a second question, and this one's tougher. Do the people who know you best, would they say this characterizes you? Would they say that you're growing in these qualities? This is Christ-likeness. Verses 2 and 3 ought to pierce us to the core of who we are. When you read these over and over again, they absolutely floor you. Make you want to get down on your face before the Lord. If I have the gift of prophecy, and if I, excuse me, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Folks, if I had... If I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if right now I had a faith that could move mountains, I wouldn't just be speaking here. I'd be in demand all over the nation. People all over the world would want me to come and speak. Man, I could fathom all mysteries, all knowledge. Wouldn't you love to have a faith that can move a mountain? He says this. You can have all of that and not be growing spiritually. If you have not love, you are nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, what if I sold everything I had and just gave it to the poor? If I surrender my body to the flames, if I died for the faith, I died for Christianity, for my Christian faith, But if I'm not growing to be like Christ, if I'm not growing in this description of love, I gain nothing. Let's let's make this very personal, because we have to. If I lead ten people to Christ this year, but have not love, if I'm not growing to be like Jesus, I gain nothing. If I memorize 50 Bible verses this this year, And have them down word perfect, but have not love. I'm not growing. I'm not growing spiritually. If I work a hundred, if I or any of you work a hundred straight Tuesdays at Beacon of Hope, but have not love, if we are not growing in Christ likeness, we gain nothing. If I'm the most faithful Awana worker this church has ever had, if I have a record of never missing a single church service for five years, but have not love, if I'm not growing to be like Christ, I'm nothing. I'm not growing at all. I'm not growing spiritually. 
It's everywhere. I'm going to read some verses here. They're not going to be on the screen. There was just too many of them. In fact, what I did on sabbaticals, I just started making a list of these. I'm just going to give you the tip of the list. It's everywhere. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit. True growth in the Holy Spirit is this. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Against such things... There is no law. Would the people who know you best say that you are patient and kind and gentle? The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Does that describe me? Does that describe you? Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. Be completely Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Right now, not just in our church, but I just think all over, so many Christians are struggling. They're struggling with complaining, griping, gossiping, and anger. And yet they continue to deceive themselves into thinking they're growing in Christ. I think many Christians before, but certainly been exacerbated during these last 18 months and all we've gone through. It's just become part of their lives. Folks, you can't have it both ways. If your life is characterized by complaining and griping and gossiping and anger, you're not growing. Stop deceiving yourselves. And trust me, I ask myself these same questions. You know, every once in a while we hear of a young man or a young woman, not just in our church, but in other churches, who walk away from the church. They walk away from the faith. It happens. And I don't want to make this too simplistic because I, number one, I'm not trying to excuse what they've done in any way. And there are a number of reasons why a young man or a young woman walks away from the church or from the faith. But one of the reasons I believe they do One of the reasons I believe they do is because they don't see the adults in their congregation acting like Christ. They don't see the adults in their congregation practicing what they preach. Do you know what I believe young men and women long to see in a church? 
adults forgiving one another. Adults who are completely humble and completely gentle and who bear with one another in love. Two verses. Just chew on these. Just chew on them. Philippians 2.14 Do everything without complaining or arguing. Don't try to water it down. Do everything. Do everything. That's a command. Without complaining or arguing. James 1.26 If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If we do not keep a, a tight rein on our tongue, we deceive ourselves and our religion is worthless. Let me ask you, would the people who know you best say that you keep a tight rein on your tongue? As we close this morning, perhaps there is no better illustration of this truth than the account of Mary and Martha. I know many of you know it well, but just to refresh your memories or if you're not familiar with it, Jesus comes to a village where two sisters live, Martha and Mary. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he says. She's just enthralled with him. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She was serving. She came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then in Luke 10, verses 41 and 42, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, to sit at my feet, to gaze into my face, to be enthralled with me and in love with me is more important than anything else. Mary has chosen what is better. Could be translated, Mary has chosen the best. And it will not. Notice what he says. It will not be taken away from her. Folks, I want you to understand something. What Martha is doing is not wrong. Okay? But there's something more important. Serving is absolutely critical. You Spent the summer, summer listening to sermons by Pastor Chad, Pastor Dan, and discipleship and serving and getting involved. I wholeheartedly endorse everything they said. Listen to every one of their sermons. But before you serve, before you serve, you must sit at the feet of Jesus or your service will be for nothing. Mary has chosen the best, and it will not be taken away from her. This morning, 
We have a book for you, a free book, if you'd like it. It was actually our book of the month back in March. It is the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's been a very popular book this last year. We're going to have some on a table as you go out the hall to the north and on a table as you go out the south doors. And if you would like a copy, you can have it. It's based on Jesus' self-disclosure of himself. He described himself as gentle and lowly. Do you remember what he said? Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He does a great job in this book of explaining when Jesus was able to describe himself. Jesus' most important self-disclosure was, I am gentle and lowly. He is the one we pursue. He is the one we long to be like. We've just laid them on the tables, these books. We're not going to have the ushers pass them out. Maybe some of you already own this. But if you will commit to reading it, take a copy. It's yours for free. Crossway, actually, Crossway Publishing made this available to churches based on their sizes. We got like 200 and some copies of this for free. Church got it for free. And we'd love to give you a copy. Now, If you say, man, my plate's full, I don't think I'll read it, you don't have to take one. Don't feel guilty. It's okay. But if you will commit to reading this, we want you to take a copy as you leave today. The most important thing that God taught me while I was on sabbatical is this. The ultimate goal of the Christian life is to become just like Christ. In everything, in everything we think, in everything we say, and in everything we do. Paul said, my little children, I am in the anguish, in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Let's pray together. Father, You have predestined us, called us to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. May this be our highest priority and deepest longing. Give us a heart like the Apostle Paul, that we, that each of us would be in anguish in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in us. In Jesus' name, amen.